This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEN. Welcome back to another episode of Sporting Max, brought to you by Bastion Recruitment. Better conversation, stronger outcomes. Head to bastiongrp.com.au for your specialist recruiting needs in defence, engineering and construction. Joining me today on the show is an Australian cricket legend who was best mates with the late great Shane Warne and Andrew Roy Simons, who is, is an Australian wicket-keeping legend. He specialise, you know, the bat, the batting and typical wicketkeeper in Australia for decades to come. His name, he goes by the name of Adam Gilchrist. Gilly, welcome. It's great to have you on. G'day, Max. Yeah, great to be chatting, mate. I've been uh, looking forward to this. Been watching with great interest your progress, mate, and um, hearing from others who you've interviewed and a, a, a huge stable of names that you've had, mate. So I'm thrilled to be joining the crew and uh, looking forward to the chat, buddy. Thanks, Gilly. I want to start off with Australia's summer of cricket coming up. It's going to be a huge summer. Now, we know we've got the T20 World Cup being held in Australia. How do you preview that after, obviously, you've had World Cup success? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's going to be – it is a, a massive summer to the point where um, I'm part of Fox Sports and Fox Cricket. We've had to put on a second dedicated cricket channel uh, yeah. to, to cope with all the cricket that's going to be coming in. But uh, the T20 International – um series or the world cup um i think australia start pretty well pretty well priced favorites i reckon they're um they're, they're going to bring a lot of confidence from what they achieved over in the uae about mm-hmm. a year ago but i think they'll just i think they'll just play the conditions out here probably a little bit better than the other teams they've got a lot of obviously a lot of local knowledge on how to play the different ground dimensions. Um, yep. A lot of that comes in tactically about, you know, the type of bowling that you're delivering, the field settings. So I think um, and it's a pretty well all-round, well-balanced team. There's uh, people that can slot in anywhere and 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 carry out a certain role. So I suppose the only concerning one at the minute, mate, that you'd be aware of is probably Aaron Finch's form at the top of the order. But hopefully between now and when the, the tournament gets started, he'll have um, knocked a few around and gained a little bit of confidence back because he's he's pretty damaging when he's going and his captaincy is brilliant. So so I think it's shaping up pretty well for them, mate. So, Gilly, you just mentioned there Aaron Finch. I want to get into a bit more in-depth about Finch. We know his last sort of run in form with the bat came at that ICC ODI World Cup. How yeah. do you view him... And, you know, obviously, how do you get out of form with a bat slump? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, that one. It's because um, you don't lose your technique. You know, players that have been around that long don't suddenly, you know, lose all their capacity to 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 um, to play with the correct technique or to, to execute strokes. So it's probably more two things, probably more mindset, uh, just the mental side of it. And just um, when you do hit a few speed bumps, you can get your mind a little bit clouded and you can start to yep. overthink things. And typically the process is, Max, you, you go, um, you train harder and harder and harder. You think you've got to do more work to try to improve. Uh, and and at that uh, period in your career, that far into your career, you're probably not going to, this might sound like a negative statement, but you're probably not going to improve that much. Yep. Um, so you're training to maintain more than improve. Um, there are areas in a game where you can might be able to fine tune and, and adapt and, and add new parts to your game. But I think with Finchie, 
it's probably just become a little bit more mindset. A lot of um, opposition have scrutinised his technique and um, certain things there, and and it's probably uh, and then commentary and commentators come in and talk about it. So it's probably more a little bit more mindset for him. But uh, and the other thing too that can come into it is at back end of your career. Your, your eyes can just go a little bit. You might not be picking up the ball just quite as quickly. And I'm not suggesting Aaron Finch is completely on the scrap heap here, but a lot of players, and I know from personal experience, you just you might be just that fraction of a second later in picking the ball up and judging it. And I think once the eyes go, it, it makes it harder for your technique to come through and still mm-hmm. be as sold as what it was. So how, how can Finchie, and obviously this may have happened with you, Gilly, to the, towards the back end of your career, how do you adjust and fine-tune that part of your game where maybe your eyes are just glitching on you a little bit? You're picking, As you mentioned, you're picking up the ball a fraction of that little bit slower. Yeah. Well, mate, I got out of there. That's what I did. <laughs> I, <laughs> I thought as soon as I detected that, I thought I, I, I'm, I'm done. Um, uh, that in conjunction with having other things in my life that were keeping me uh, a bit more occupied and, and we're taking up a bit more of my time and mm-hmm. and uh, and a bit more of my desire to go and explore a few different things. So, um, uh, but I think really all you can do is keep practicing, sharpening up, trying to be, um, you know, as fit and as prepared as you can go to, yeah. can be to get going and then, uh, yeah, go out there and hopefully trust it. But as I say, the, the vision thing and, you know, again, I'm not, I don't know if this is the case with Finchie, but there are examples of it. And I think most players towards the end of their career realise that physically, be it reflex reaction or eyes or just your overall physical Mm -hmm. um, makeup starts to wane a little bit. Uh, So, yeah, I think all you can do, and I'm sure Finchie's doing this, is just just keep hitting balls, keep training the way you normally train, um, as I said, you tend to train more and then you might start to train less and you sort of bounce up and down. And, and what you do is you end up getting back to where you started and going, okay, just trust what I've done to get me to this level. So I want to link that, the World Cup now, back to your experience in the 1999 World Cup alongside Shane Warne um, yep. and Ricky Ponting. What was that experience like for you? Uh, absolutely brilliant. It's been a long time ago, but... Um, Still, yeah, it's many years ago, but it still sort of feels quite fresh in your mind. Funnily enough, it uh, it was uh, it was a tough tournament for uh, myself and a, a lot of the top order players. The ball was early in the summer in England. Uh, the ball, white ball, was swinging and decking around a lot, so it was challenging. It wasn't coming off the bat cleanly. Sorry, it wasn't coming off the bat cleanly. No, no, mate, it, it wasn't at all. But, uh, but uh, it was a good learning experience. Um, mm-hmm. I had uh, got like Mark War at the other end, who was very experienced, and he just took his time a little bit and found a way to get into an innings. But, but uh, really, my main recollections of that tournament were we struggled early, and then mm-hmm. we we slowly built our momentum, um, and then got ourselves in, you know, into the next round, and then got ourselves into the knockout round got ourselves into a semi mm-hmm. uh, and then culminated in in the final playing almost a perfect game of cricket where we blew Pakistan out of it. But um, but the big the main memories of that is Steve Waugh getting 100 in the um, round before getting into the semi-final uh, mm-hmm. where that was a match and tournament saving innings. 
And then Warney's bowling in the semi-final and final were just absolutely, you know, from the top drawer of what Warney could deliver. So, yeah, brilliant tournament and um, and and one that I think everyone knew that we had to scrap and fight and find every little bit of determination and, and skill to get through. And then we ended up playing a good game in the final. Yeah, absolutely. So Australia had to avoid, obviously, they lost, you guys had lost two matches in a row. Then you have to avoid... Um, you know, little defeats and, you know, just grind those six in a row wins out to be able to win that uh, World Cup final. Can you take me through what that's like to, you know, grind out games and the mindset and mentality behind that? Yeah, it it, it was a, as I say, tough start and you're spot on. We lost a, lost a couple of games, a surprising loss to New Zealand. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone had sort of seen that coming. Um, I think Pakistan then knocked us over. Oh, we won our first game, which was against Scotland. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, we might as well have packed up and gone home if we didn't beat Scotland. But um, but <laughs> it, it wasn't exactly as as convincing a win as what it should have been. So, yeah, you're right. We could not lose another game through the whole tournament. Simple as if we lost one game, we're out. I think there was also a little bit of... Um, I wouldn't say unhappiness or um, disunity in the in the team, but there was something wasn't quite right. And mm-hmm. because of those losses, we end up having the sort of the big open, honest sort of session within the team, chatting and with the yeah. coach, Jeff Marsh. And um, often you need some tough times to bring all that stuff to the top, to bring it all out. And everyone got, you know, a few little issues off their chest and uh, it cleared the air pretty much. And it just allowed us then to go, um, look, we can't afford to lose another game. So we've just got to find a way. So we trained harder, uh, just worked really hard, um, really focused on uh, just on the on the job at hand. And it was, um, yeah, it turned out to be a, a really, you know, fulfilling exercise to get through. So you were called up to your first ODI International um, one day in 1996. It was a debut that was coming up against South Africa um, in late October. Now, can you take me through, obviously, towards the start of your ODI career, you were replacing the likes of Steve Waugh, Ian Healy. What was that like for you to come in and then obviously earn the respect of your teammates to be able to sustain that position in the side? Yeah, it was It was a bit of a – it was a funny call-up to get – I'd been sort of put on standby for Ian Healy probably about – five or six times prior to that. Wow. Uh, and, um, you know, you sort of you get put on standby when there's an injury or whatever and you you hope that's your chance. You're not wishing injury on anyone. But um, And then it didn't happen. I didn't play. But to get that call and get flown over. So my debut, you're right, mate, against South Africa, but it was in India in a place yeah. called Faridabad, which I'd never heard of. Um, it <laughs> It was a really weird sort of experience, but uh, and and nerve wracking as you could imagine um, to go out there. It's all well, well and good to um, talk the talk. I, my good friend Justin Langer always talks about this quote where it's all well and good to talk the talk, but then mm-hmm. you know, and that's by way of you know, we all want to, we all hope and aspire to play for Australia, and um, that's a dream, but. Can you walk the walk? Can you get there and actually carry it out? So, mm. getting picked and getting rushed in there, and then you know, literally, 
uh, I wouldn't say meeting for the first time a few of these guys, but it was the first time I really, other than a handshake, um, yep. sat down and been a part of it. So, you know, Mark Taylor, Steve War, Mark War, all the, all the guys, um, it was a bit intimidating and I was, uh, it all happened so quick, your debut. It just mm-hmm. goes so fast and you just feel like you're scrambling all the time. But, uh, but it was a, 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 it was, I'd achieved what I'd wanted to achieve. So it was nice, uh, a really fond memory in that regard. And, and it just gave me a little mm-hmm. taste that I wanted more. Yeah, absolutely. So you took your first catch coming off um, the bowling um, of Paul Rifle. Yep. Uh, now, you were also run out for a duck in your only other ODI on the tour. When you get that first catch, what confidence does that give you going into the rest of the match? Does that settle the nerves? Obviously, it would, I can imagine. Yeah, mate, you're right. So in my first game, I think I can't remember the exact total, whether I got 16 or 14 or something, but I remember going out to face Alan Donald, who was a frightfully fast bowler from um, South Africa. Mm-hmm. And all the other batters were just wearing caps because it was a bit of a low, slow wicket in India. I always batted in a helmet, but everyone else was wearing caps. Um, they didn't feel a need that there was going to be too many bounces that were going to threaten them. So they put the cap on really hot. So I thought, oh, I'll better do what the boys are doing. So I went out to bat in my first one day international against a bloke that bowls about 145 kilometers. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got my cap on, just trying to look cool like the rest of the team. And I was, yeah. and Alan Donald, I remember him saying to me, he said, oh, in a South Africa, hey, mate, where's the respect? And I thought, <laughs> yeah. Mate, the respect is sitting in my kit bag in the form of my helmet. Yeah. And he ran in and he bowled this bouncer to me. And I just, oh, that plate hit my gloves right in front of my face. Wow. And uh, I duly called for the helmet to come back out and thought yeah. I don't need to look cool anymore. I'll just try to survive. But, uh, but yeah, so got a catch. Um, I think it was off Paul Rifle's bowling. And then... Uh, second game, you're right. I, got, I was run out without facing a ball. Went in there with about an over to go, and uh, just to try to take on a run that obviously wasn't there. Trying to pinch a run, but yeah. um, but I think, as I say, it was nerve wracking. But as far as that question about does it settle your confidence and settle your nerves? Yeah, it does. And the environment, whilst it wasn't a very successful tour for the Aussie team, then it was still just nice to get in there and know that you were. Um, whilst I didn't perform, you know, all that brilliantly, yep. you looked and thought there's a level there that I, I, I reckon I can, you know, warm to and 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 get to if I keep working hard. It, that's what, as I said before, it just incentivised me more to, to, to keep working just as hard and, um, and try and get back there. So what are you thinking as Alan Donald says to you, where's the respect? Are you thinking, oh, no, here we go, here comes a bouncer? Or can you take me through what's going through your mind at that point in time? Yeah, yeah. It's. I think you you do think that you think. Well, it's a bit of a, a cat and mouse game. You're wondering if he's just tempting you, yeah, uh, teasing you, and then <laughs> throws something else out there. But yeah, um, no, nah, he bowled the bouncer, uh, and and it's okay. It's all well and good to think that you know what's coming from a fast bowler, but then. It's all, you know, you still got to be able to play it. And it was quick. <laughs> it was intimidating, but um, I survived it. But that's the that's the whole um, sort of cat and mouse of batter versus bowler in any situation, isn't it? It's um, yeah. 
it's all in the mind and it's uh, usually the those with strongest mindset that come out um, successfully. Yeah, absolutely. So you were made as an elevation um, at the start of 97-98 Australian um, cricket season. Obviously, Captain Ian Healy and Captain Mark Taylor were omitted from that ODI squad yeah. um, and they opted for yourself, Michael Devenuto. Can you take me through that selection for you? Yeah, mate, that was – gee, I hadn't thought about that that little period for a long while, mate, so it's nice to be reminded or, or taken back <laughs> on the journey. But uh, that was controversial times, uh, as you're aware. Yeah, mm-hmm. in this day and age, buddy, the, the teams, you know, the test team's very different to the one-day team, to the T20 team, right, and there's a bit of overlap but not much. And mm-hmm. uh, back, in the, back in those days, it was just one Australian cricket team and very there were very few changes – and then they went with two captains uh, and about – it was still about four or five players that played in both, but it was new times to have, you know, specific one-day players. So uh, so I was thrilled with the opportunity, uh, but it meant that I was – copped a bit of a, a tough um, initiation in front of Australian crowds because Ian Healy was such a fan favourite and had been such a good servant to Australian cricket. So that was made it a bit more – challenging a bit more um a bit different to the experience i thought i might get playing for australia on home soil for the uh-huh. first time i thought it was so all going to walk out to like a cold sense of yeah. it would have been a cold sense of eccentricness yeah a little bit of um the 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 atmosphere was a little bit chilled and uh, I, I just don't think australian crowds knew quite what to, and and what they did in that summer for whatever reason, as as back in a time when Australia A used to play some games in the yep. one day format, um, and whilst Australia A weren't playing in the the one day tournament, they decided to play Australia versus Australia A, and they picked Ian Healy in the Australian A team. Oh, he was me in the Aussie team trying to win over these Australian fans, and then I'm playing against Ian Healy at the SCG, <laughs> and they were booing me and cheering him and. Um, it was a it was a weird old time, mate. But um, but again, I think the lesson I took out of it was Ian Hill is a hero of mine. Yeah. So uh, I understand why the fans are cheering for him. Uh, and if I want to ever garner their cheers, I just mm-hmm. need to not be Ian Healy, but mm-hmm. I, that inspired me to to try and replicate the level of performance that he was able to do for a long time. So, so if anything, it was a motivational tool for me to that inspired me to keep working hard and and um, and try and get stay in that team. Absolutely. And the second final um, of sort of that, I guess that series maybe the next year, you struck your maiden ODI century um, in the run chase at the SCG. Um, you know, locking in that position as an opening batsman. Can you yep. take me through? Obviously, you've now earned the respect of your teammates and maybe the crowd. Can you? What was the reaction like for you when you when you hit those winning runs to, you know, secure your maiden century? Yeah, wonderful feeling. Uh, vivid memories of that. It was just we 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 had a close call. It was only in the first final about four days before down in Melbourne where Steve Waugh asked me to open the batting. Uh, that was a shock. I, yeah. I wasn't expecting that, but you know, basically at, at the at the dinner break, he said, "Oh, can oh, do you want to open today?" Because at <laughs> a time you were batting seven, seven. eight in the order. 
Yeah, seven. So uh, I guess you could say an inspired choice by Steve at the time. Yep. I didn't quite know why he made that choice, but uh, but he and I went out and opened with his brother Mark down in Melbourne, and I uh, ran Mark out after about <laughs> four overs. So it wasn't the perfect start, but. Uh, we then went to Sydney. We were meant to play game two and it got washed out. We were there, yeah. warmed up and everything. Then rain came, washed it out. And I remember sitting around um, with uh, a bloke called Paul Wilson, who's an umpire now, international mm-hmm. umpire. The big blocker Wilson was uh, bowling for us in, in the Australian team then. And we sat down and they, were, they bought the esky in of all the beers for after the game, uh, mm-hmm. but it had been washed out. And we sat there and we thought, well, we better not waste those beers. So we thought we'd better have a couple of them. Yeah. Um, and I remember we probably had one or two too many without it getting out of control. But I, I was really nervous thinking, hang on a minute, we've got to come back tomorrow and play this final. And I've had, I've had these beers that were on offer. And <laughs> so I, I, I think I was really nervous and maybe I focused even more to make sure I didn't stuff up really after you know i would hate it to get out people to find out that we had a few beers and then the night before a big final um so yeah concentrated probably extra hard but uh yeah that probably felt like mate the the moment where uh that i I really embrace or the australian crowd really embraced me in it in that in the australian team so um to be out there you know sydney creek ground full house um it was it was a pretty you know really memorable occasion and it meant that we uh leveled the series up one all and pushed it to a third final which mm-hmm. we truly went on and won so um we won the series so yeah that that was a breakthrough innings for me i think in regards to just feeling fully accepted at that level not just by the crowd but probably by my my teammates as well that there was a role for me to play yeah absolutely speaking of memorable occasions that leads us into the Monday Distillery question of the week. High Spirits, Clear Minds, Monday Distilleries, award-winning non-alcoholic beverages. Head to mondaydistillery.com to purchase the drinks with all the spark of good and alcohol-free. Available at independent supermarkets, bottle shops, Dan Murphy, 7-Eleven and Coles. Local, head over to mondaydistillery.com.au. Now, this question, Gilly's coming off Instagram. is from Solomon. What's a greater feeling, winning a World Cup or winning the Ashes? Oh, tough to split. Uh, I think I'd have to say the traditionalist in me would say the Ashes. Yeah. Uh, that's Test cricket is is still my my preferred format and the greatest memories and and greatest feeling of fulfilment I think comes yep. from Test cricket. Uh, so we were fortunate. I was very fortunate to play in a successful era where we twice we won sixteen Tests in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 obviously we, I was part of a few successful Ashes campaigns, and we also, you know, won three World Cups in a row. Which I'm not sure that's going to happen again. We'll have to wait and see. But um, that was pretty amazing. But I think the reason why maybe the Ashes takes precedent is because of the history, the heritage, and the feeling of losing an Ashes series really. That ripped my heart out, and I, I didn't. I was fortunate to play in three World Cups, and we won all of them. So I don't know what it's like to get knocked out of a World Cup yeah. <laughs> uh, in fifty over. We did get knocked out of the T Twenty World Cup when it first started, but it probably didn't have the. Well, I had no history at that point, so it didn't hurt like uh, handing the Ashes over back in two thousand and five. That that hurt. That was a 
a nasty feeling. But um, but yeah, so I think that probably just ashes cricket. So we speak. You spoke speak about Gilly, you know, losing the ashes and how much that hurts to hand it back over. What's yep. the feeling like when you retain the ashes and how much pride and joy do all the Australian do Australian cricketers take in um, representing their country in the ashes? Yeah, huge amount of history, huge um, heritage that you know you're stepping into. I was my first Ashes test was in 2001 over in England. Yeah, um, I think it was a, around about my 11th or might have been 10th or 11th actual test match in my career. But mm-hmm. I was as nervous on that morning as I was back on my test debut because I Absolutely. knew knew what I was getting into in that Australia versus England rivalry and and everything that goes with it. So mm-hmm. uh, that was great. Have, but to to regain the Ashes was probably uh, the greatest feeling for me in, in my Ashes history because 2001, we already held the Ashes from the, the, the series before. 2002-03 in, in Australia, we, we obviously held the Ashes from, from the previous series in England and we, we really beat up on England in that, that series. And it was through a period where Australia were just winning. We were just yep. beating England Dominant. all the time. So... 2005, that's when we spoke about the, the heartache and heartbreak of letting the Ashes go. So to come back into Australia and win 5 0 uh, was that, that was a, a really, really nice feeling, a, a unique feeling to, to do that sort of it's redemption. It's um, going away and working out what didn't work and, and, and trying to rebuild a little bit mm-hmm. for our team. And, and there was a lot that went into it. And to go out there and execute it so well, uh, that was a, a brilliant feeling. So, yeah, the excitement of uh, of not just winning but but regaining the Ashes when you knew that you were part of having given them up, that's mm-hmm. that was uh, a nice moment. What are the moments like and the final ball of a Test Series when you, you know, you mentioned give up the Ashes? Yeah, uh, I'm... I talk about heartbreak and heartache, and it was it was it was horrible, but it was also pretty amazing sitting there watching. Um, in two thousand five, or at the Oval, there's like grown men out there in tears who <laughs> who couldn't remember the last time they'd won the Ashes. So yeah. <laughs> I don't mean the players; I mean people in the stands. So to see the way that the public reacted over there in England, you, you knew that it had been a pretty amazing series. So whether you've won it or lost it, just to have been a part of it was probably something to hold very dear to your heart and close to your heart. So, um, and, and the other thing that I tried to do, Max, is although it was a negative and I didn't have a great series at all, I, rather than shy away from it and ignore it and, and pretend it didn't happen, I, I sort of wanted to look it in the eye and, and work out how I felt, how I truly felt uh, and try to learn from it and, and use it as a bit of inspiration. So, that can sound a little bit cliche where people say, you know, use the adversity or the negative time mm-hmm. to turn it into a positive, but you, you've got to try and do that. And it, and the, the good thing is it's pretty easy to do that in negative situations. Mm-hmm. You can't go any worse. So why not just think about ways you can take it, you know, in the right direction. So the opportunity is always there. So can you take me through the week in the lead up to your initial test debut? Test debut. Um, I remember 
Well, there was there was a fair bit of speculation around it all because Ian Healy had, uh, was clearly towards the end of his career. Mm-hmm. A team had played in Zimbabwe, I think, yeah, just in a few weeks prior and came back and I was going pretty well, I think, from memory in WA cricket and the one-day stuff was going okay. So there was a bit of a push that maybe Hills, I think that more so what made it a bit more controversial was there was a push for Hills to play one last test at the Gabba. Yeah. Almost as a farewell test match. And clearly a lot of the fans wanted that. And so I was, I was sort of had spent all this time aspiring to be in Healy, hoping to get into that position. And then all of a sudden I'm in a legitimate, almost public debate about who should be in or who shouldn't be. Yeah. So I tried <laughs> to switch off from it, but you, mate, you got, you got all your you mates, can't. all your yep. families saying to you, uh, oh, you should be in there. You should be in there. And then you're trying to balance that up with, well, I know they love me, but they're a bit biased, but yep. should I be in there or, or what? So, um, yeah, it was when they, when they, the best part is when they finally made the selection, then you could just go, okay, well, I'm in. Um, anyone who doesn't think I'm in can't blame me. I didn't pick the team and just get out there and, and just try and give it your best. So I was at home in Perth. Um, I did a couple of sponsors promotions in that week. So kept you busy, um, mm-hmm. really exciting. And then, and then you'd get over to Brisbane before your first test, it was John Buchanan's first coach, uh, first test as coach, mm-hmm. and Steve Waugh was relatively new as captain. So there, there was a new, nice, fresh feel to what I was experiencing. And then just, yeah, mate, my tail was wagging out of excitement and getting ready to go. So we speak about coaches in Australian cricket history. Obviously, most recently we've had Darren Lehman and Justin Langer. You've spoken yep. about Justin Langer and his determination to win and mindset and different quotes he uses. I guess that encapsulates what Australian cricket is and that vibe he brings to Australian cricket. So he was so determined to push, so determined to win. And for me, watching that test series on Amazon Prime was really something that brought me a great sense of joy and everyone a great sense of joy watching that and thinking, you know, this is our Australian coach. This is what, well, personally, what I want our Australian coach to be, Justin Langer. Yeah, he was, uh, well, it was an amazing uh, documentary, wasn't it? Really insightful and uh, just a, a really interesting, fun watch uh, mm-hmm. to see and learn more about new people. And But you're right, he he's a passionate man. He's um, really well thought. Um, and he has the people that he's working with and alongside, he has their best interests at heart. There's no denying that. So he, I think you described it really well there, Max, about, he he made you he, he made that team in took them to a, a position of that you were sort of proud of and 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 the way you wanted to see the Australian team play or certainly behave. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what his his goal was to to make Australians proud of their cricket team again. And I think he did a, a great job in, in in unison with others. There was a lot of people that went put a lot of work in to rebuild that that team's image. Mm-hmm. And Justin was at the forefront of it. And look at, you know, probably no point in going into any detail at all about what happened with him then eventually, you know, moving on from the job and not being offered a, a, a contract of any um, any significance to, to want to stay in the job. He felt like uh, clearly the feedback he got from the player group 
by the end of his tenure, which was only four years, was that um, he was a bit too intense and and you know things had changed. So th- that's a that's a bit of a a tough one for probably um, the generation prior and the prior to that to yeah. to understand fully. But but we don't know. We can't put ourselves or claim to know what the current players are thinking and what the landscape's like. I understand it's a different time. So, but what what I all I do know is I agree with you. Justin's a a passionate guy who all he tried to do was get the best out of his players and make sure that the Australian public were proud of that cricket team and the way they went about everything, not just on the field, but but everything. Yeah, absolutely. So then you've already spoken about Aaron Finch and how different players and that a formerly Australian cricket team, there was just one unified ticket uh, Australian cricket team that was together for all across all formats. So now we look at it and you've got Marcus Stornis, Adam Zampa, who come into a T20 side. You've got Cam Green, who's been a star and a revolution for Australian bowling um, yep. in the test side. How do you personally, as a wicket keeper batsman, do you differentiate your game in different formats or try and keep it? Because at different points you were at, you know, a run rate of 50 off 100 balls um, at the start of your test career. Yeah, it's, um, I think, I think I didn't, I didn't realize, I obviously didn't have T20 international cricket around to the extent yeah. like it is now. Uh, so really, I think of my career, it's more test cricket and one day 50 over cricket. Mm-hmm. So I probably didn't change my mindset too much. I tried to maintain the same um, attacking approach. Um, that's what I was brought up on from my dad, you know, mm. throwing cricket balls to me in the backyard, always uh, encouraged me to be attacking and positive. And so I personally couldn't feel a real need to change whatever whatever was working for you, just keep maintaining that same mindset. So yep. it's probably got to be a bit different with 2020 cricket around now, just through the lack of deliveries that you got the chance to face. You, you've got to find a way to get more creative and, and capitalise on each delivery. But uh, but there's different guys. You know, Matthew Hayden was very much a, um, a player that was able to go in and out of little passages of play. Ricky Ponting yeah. um, also, um, just speaking about the guys that I played with, the way they could go through the gears a little bit and uh, or pause or halt play a bit and take some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's... It, some players are cut out for it. Some some aren't. Some just keep going flat out. And then there's players that probably may never make a big impact in limited overs cricket because they are so well suited to to long version cricket. So, uh, but me personally, I was more about just see what ball's been bowled and work yeah. out how to deal with it. And if it's to be aggressive with it, whether it's your first ball or tenth ball, um, and there's a bit of risk in that, but that makes it fun. So how do you judge a ball when you're sitting behind the stumps? Obviously, Shane Warne, your late great mate, can bowl an excellent flipper. He, he's got he's so versatile. He was in the different balls that he could actually bowl to a batsman. And a batter, batsman wouldn't know what's coming their way every time they faced up to Shane. Yeah. Yeah, that came with becoming familiar with your bowler. Uh, and mm. fortunately for me, before I played test cricket with Warney, I'd played two and a half years of one day cricket with him. Yeah. So I was, you know, I, I understood 
you know, what he, the way he bowled, the types of uh, changes that he might have. Um, I went to Warney. That was my biggest fear in, particularly in Test cricket, was Ian Healy was so good to Shane Warne. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh no, I, I can't. And Shane Warne's so important to the Australian cricket team's success. I can't be a failure at this. I really want to try and maintain a level. Um, so I went to Warney a lot early and just said, "Can after training, can you bowl more, please?" And he, and Warney wasn't, you know, he wasn't the world record when it holder when it came to training, but um, he did yeah. enough to get himself right. But um, but he was always happy to bowl a few extra deliveries to me at the end just to get familiar with it. You know, yeah. show me your wrong and show me your flipper, show me whatever else you got there, and 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 that way. It's not a surprise when you get out in the game. So, uh, and mate, that was a, the highlight of my career was was to weird keep the shame worn. It was just the best in the business. It was a it was the most entertaining box office seat in the house to be crouched behind the stumps when Warren is up there creating his magic. So, um, yeah, that that was uh, so. Yeah, try and you know any young young cricketers out there, young wicket keepers, just if ever you've got a bowler that you know you're going to play a fair bit with go and try and get familiar with them, train mm-hmm. that bit extra with them. Just, just look at how many deliveries they've got and try and really have a good understanding of them. So when you're behind the stumps, have you ever had an experience with a bowler or a ball that's either struck you or flown past you so quick that you're like, what was that? <laughs> um, I had a few times where I've been batting against a bloke called Shah Bakhtar, who bowled 160 k's an hour, and Brett Lee in the nets. And um, but uh, yeah, oh, oh there, there's times where um, yeah, there's a blend of maybe not concentrating enough, or a bit of natural variation comes into the pitch. Like Warney, as I say, I could pick Warney out of the hand, and it might look like a leg spinner, and and you know that's pretty stock standard delivery. But then it'll just hit and bounce and fly over. But he might have just either put some more revs on it, or he might have just hit a bit of rough and yeah. really flown. Um, so that's probably the most, uh, the greatest element of surprise is the fact that you know he warned he'd bowl around the wicket, out into the footmarks, out on the leg outside leg stump. Yeah. Um, you know, and and, and you got to be careful because if it pitches out there, it might miss the rough and just skid on. So you want to be able to stop that, but you also got to be ready if it grabs the rough and spins across in front of the batter to try and get a catch or a stumping. So that's what that was the good stuff. That was what made it interesting. That's what you worked so hard for in the nets to try to be there for that. So yeah, I can't. I mean, there's too many amazing worn deliveries, and we know all know ball of the century that he bowled Mike Gatting on in 1993, a bit before your time, mate. But uh, yeah. I'm sure you've seen it a lot on YouTube. Um, it's uh, Warney bowled. I reckon Warney would have bowled another 20 of those in his career that just didn't quite hit the stump or just mm-hmm. missed the edge. But you're just, um, you know, you're thrilled to be be there and that keeps you on your toes. So when you're an opening batsman, how do you decipher and judge each ball with a fresh pitch? Yeah, uh, that's a, something that probably on reflection I could have, taken a bit more time doing because um, mm. I, I don't be, I can't confess to being an expert on cricket pitches and knowing what's going to happen. Really, you just got to try to find a way to survive yeah. and gather the information as you're going along. Um, so, 
but I mean, sometimes there's some very clear and obvious indicators, like if there's grass on the pitch, if it's mm-hmm. long grass and is it soft, but even still, you're never too certain until you're seeing what's happening. So that's where personally my judgment, I could have maybe taken a bit more time to allow that to happen rather than being too aggressive yep. and swinging too hard and trying to get to the boundary. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, I think all all young cricketers need to understand once you get onto turf, on playing on turf, you can just give yourself a little bit more time there. But, um, yeah, and it would change from venue to venue. But, but again, guys like Matthew Hayden, Justin Langer, the way he left the ball, um, even Mark Waugh, who I batted a lot with in limited overs cricket, had a very good uh, sense of judgment on what to leave, what to play at, what not to. But, um, yeah, and having said all that about maybe me slowing down a bit, I, I was sent in at the top of the order with a bit of a role to play. Yeah. So I think with that, um, you know, the fact that Steve War as captain asked me to go up and do that, I probably always knew that if I did fail a few times being too aggressive, I knew that he was encouraging me to do that. So I wasn't going to get in trouble. Yeah. Now, there was a big, huge match where Glenn McGrath, Shane Warne and Justin Langer were all retiring. Can you take me through that game for you? Yes, that was against England at the end of that that year of 2006-07 when we, we regained the Ashes, which I spoke about how uh, the euphoric feeling of everyone in regaining the Ashes. But, um, yeah, to say goodbye to three absolute legends, three superstars, of the game and and three very good mates all at once. Pretty emotional time, mate. It was, uh, yeah, it's fair to say there was a few tears shed in and around that group because it was a really tightly, you know, bound, you know, tight knit group. And uh, we'd all been through so much together. Um, So pretty emotional day. And um, yeah, we, we knew that we'd lost a, a significant amount of the firepower of the team and a lot of the knowledge. So it was going to be challenging to, to um, maintain the standards that we had. So, yeah, that was probably the main thing, just that, that emotion of, um, of sadness that it had all come to an end and, and a time to reflect on um, everything that had happened. And earlier in that series, Damien Martin, who another good mate retired after the second test. So yeah, that's sort of four startup players. That's, you know, that's, 40, nearly nearly half your team walking out the door um, in one foul swoop. So it was a it was a big day. So what about your retirement? Can you take me through how that all came about? Yeah, I, I wasn't planning on retiring. I, I knew I was getting closer to the end. Uh, that was yeah. obvious, but um, I was still planning on playing on for, I guess, another year or so at least. But I dropped the catch off Brett Lee in Adelaide and I just realised that, yeah, as they do at the replay screens at the ground, they replayed it about 20 times. Mm-hmm. I sort of thought, right, I reckon the crowd's seen that enough. But um, yeah, <laughs> I, watching the replay, it made me, I could just see that I was like what I was referring to earlier about losing your eyes, losing your reflex. You know, I was just, it was a pretty basic catch, but I was just late on it, just yeah. a little bit late. And it sort of all came to the front of my mind, okay, Um at training, I'm not quite, I didn't, I wasn't hating training, but I wasn't probably doing all those little bits that I used to do. And and that was probably because I wanted to get home from training to see my young, young family, young kids, 
Um, I had a few business things happening. I had sponsorships. So my mind was just being taken a few little other spots rather than yeah. just 100% on the cricket. And and that was fine. I, I, I didn't want to fight that, but it came to me a realisation very quickly. So, um, yeah, I made that my decision up right there and then that that's what I'm doing. I'm going to retire after this test match. And to the point where I, I went home and had to ring my wife in Perth, I was in Adelaide, had to ring my wife and let her know and for her to have time to get over for the last sort of few days of that test match so but haven't regretted it at all uh loved my career loved every every step along the way but um have loved post cricket life too so you take me through post cricket life and how you got into media and commentating with fox cricket yeah um i wasn't ever sure what i was going to do when i finished but I, i was never bothered by that because i feel like i i was thinking about it and i had a few you know uh little uh, relationship, business relationship things to to fall into straight away. But uh, but I didn't think I was going to be a cricket commentator. I had mm-hmm. five years where I didn't do any. Um, I was given a chance with Channel Nine straight away, but I thought, yeah, I'm not sure it's me. I don't think I'm all that very all that good. Um, yeah, it was a pretty intimidating commentary box to go into back in those days. Yeah, with Tony Greg, <laughs> Richie Benno, Bill Laurie. Mm-hmm. Uh, intimidating, not in personalities, but just profile. Yeah. Um, so I said no to it. Uh, and then wow. about five years later, when the Big Bash was on Channel 10, they needed to build a commentary team. And I was a bit apprehensive, a bit unsure, but then I was told that it'll be with Ricky Ponting, Damien Fleming and Mark Waugh. Mm-hmm. And they're three of the, my closest mates out of the game, um, guys that I got on really well with. So I said, yep. Yeah, if it's doing it with the right people, I'll give it a go. And, and and that's where I fell in love with it. Just so much fun. Um, loved being back at the cricket mm-hmm. uh, without, yeah. You know, and it's good. You go, go to the games and don't have to have the pressure of playing. So it's even yeah. better. You can enjoy <laughs> the cricket even more. Um, and just, just trying to add some fun and color and um, insight into the broadcast. So, uh, you know, it's funny broadcasting, isn't it? And you're, you know, carving out your own, a fantastic career already, uh, but you you grow up watching people, listening to people, hearing voices and the way they speak. And I always, even now, find myself thinking, oh, that's the way I should do it or that's the way it used to be done. I should do it that way. But at the end of the day, you just got to give it your best shot and hopefully your own personality comes through. Um, and if, you, if, if the people that are in the right places want you to keep doing it, they'll keep asking you. But um, main thing is to just have fun along the way, I think, and and it's I've loved it. It's been great fun. So you work with Mark Howard, who we've recently had on the podcast. Yeah. What, what's it like to um, work with the great Howie? <laughs> uh, the great Howie, who would have thought? <laughs> right, mate. I think oh, he's. I reckon he's the best broadcaster that I've worked with across all sports, across all all platforms and mediums. He's just. And he's put in a huge apprenticeship along the way to get yep. there. You know, Absolutely. he would have spoken to you, I know, but about you know how it started out almost by by mistake, and then and then he fell in love with it, and he's done everything possible to get himself into this position. But um, oh, I love him. Yeah, that was part that big bash. You know, I mentioned the former players, but then uh, Dave Barham, who set that up, a bloke from who was head of sport at Channel Ten. 
<laughs> he said, oh, I'm going to put Mark Howard and Andy Marr in there with you. And and we were all sort of like, oh, hang on. We're, you know, we, we, we've got this. We don't need these blokes. But we're we cricket legends, yep. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know enough about the game, but I tell you what, I'm glad he, I'm glad Dave put these guys in because they helped steer us. They helped guide us. Yeah. And, and I mean, how he's the bloke I've learnt most from in this caper. Um, just observing him, the way he goes about it. Um, he's such a relaxed, casual operator, but he puts in a lot more work than he lets on and a lot more preparation than he lets on. But, uh, he's just got a very natural, engaging manner, and yeah, he's he's an absolute superstar across any job that any TV executive needs done. I reckon you could go to Howie and know that not only is he going to get it done, but it's going to be done really well. So I oh, love the bloke, love working with him. What about Kerry O'Keefe? He's a he's a classic <laughs> character to listen to and watch on air. I loved him throughout this Ashes series, watching him sitting back every day. I was. Up in Queensland on holidays, just sit back every day, watch yourself, Kerry O'Keefe, Shane Warne, and Mark Howard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Skull, what a legend he is. He's, uh, I tell you, he is, I think, the most, everyone loves Skull for his entertainment factor and his yeah, funny one liners yeah. and his laugh and all that. But I think once you, you enjoy those bits, but I think people are now really fully embracing his understanding of the game of cricket. And yep. his knowledge, and and knowledge, but his in depth knowledge of of the modern day stuff from him. You know, if we're off there, I get the chance to to sit there and 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 talk to him or read his notes that he's taken from watching. He watches all cricket all around the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know what he did before Fox Cricket was around with a 24-7 cricket channel. He was <laughs> he's, he's somehow found a way to watch, but he's he's brilliant. He's um so a blend of knowledge and coupled with uh, an entertaining character. Um it makes for makes for a good uh, a good commentator. So IPL auction, you experienced the IPL firsthand for the first time in 2008 in your career. What was that like for you? Yeah, weird, different, new. Uh, none of us knew what was going to happen. And the first time uh, that players had literally just been thrown in there and and teams bid on you like you're at a cattle auction or something. So uh, or the or the the you know the racing uh, yeah. the the horse auctions. But um, I think um, it oh, it was it was. So new, but it was an amazing experience. Not so much the auction because it's out of your control to an yeah. extent. Um, obviously, everyone loves loves to go for a good price and earn some money. But the IPL in general was a really fun experience. One that um, oh, you know, I managed to captain a, a team to a win in the IPL, and that was as fulfilling th- purely because of all the bits and pieces you needed to bring together. Um, as as a lot of what I achieved in my career, so it's a it's a great fun tournament. Um, but it's hard cricket, it's proper cricket. Like the owners want you to win, so there's pressure there. Yeah. What about the the big bash? In recent years, it's sort of faded away. Um, as has the A League with the with the NBL National Basketball League coming up through the ranks. Now the big bash regained David Warner at the Sydney Thunder. Yep. How much of an induction and how big is this for the Big Bash in 
you know, bringing back up and getting back up there this year. Yeah, I think this year is going to be a really big year for it to to rise up again, a bit of a um, a, a year to stimulate it. And, and having David Warner in the big bash has got to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully once the test matches are finished, we'll have a, a lot of those Australian players uh, playing yep. the rest of the tournament. Um, you know, I really, really hope Steve Smith finds a way in there. And uh, I don't think we'll have the bowlers, Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stark said already he's not going to play because he, you know, and that's fine. He really, they want to stay fresh for Australia and Australia have a huge cricket calendar ahead in the next 12 to 18 months. So mm-hmm. understandable there. But um, yeah, I think uh, this, this big bash is really exciting. We had the draft. There's people, you know, picked holes in the draft or said, oh, a bit of a laughing stock because two or three big name players that they sort of pushed as big name players didn't get drafted. But yeah, I don't see it as that. I think well done, Creed Australia, for giving it a go. It got people talking. There's some really, really high class cricketers that came out of that draft that will be in the big bash now. And I think it showed how serious the teams are about winning it. They're not mm. just uh seduced by a big name who's played a lot of T20 cricket. They wanted the players that they think are going to contribute most to a team victory and a chance to win it. So I think it'll be a, a really exciting um, big bash season this year. I, I can't wait to be on there and uh, do a blend of international cricket and big bash. And then once the tests are done, just rip right into the big bash. So what are your thoughts on new captain Pat Cowens? He, he was obviously a superstar in the Ashes series this year. He's been a revelation to Australian cricket and the way a captain goes about it. There was one moment, though, in the SCG test where there was a lot of talk in the media of how late did he leave it to call um, to, for play to end. Yeah, for the declaration, I think, is it the one there that you're referring to where, where yep. yeah, whether he batted on too long and, Oh look! If that's if that's the greatest criticism we have of Pat Cummins as a captain, it's not he, much. He's doing a pretty good job. Yeah, yeah that's right. I, um, pretty much everything he's touched turned to gold. Uh, his personal performances have remained at their uh, extremely high level that we've come to expect from Pat, and and he's done it all in a very very humble, uh, balanced manner. He's such a personable guy. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a consummate professional. And, um, you know, he's got a lot going on in his life. He's been in the last 12 months, married, had a child and um, test captain and everything that, that comes with that. He's a busy man, but he looks to me like he's doing it in a in just a very balanced, well-thought-out manner. He's clearly got some good people around him that, that, um, that he trusts. Uh, and that's probably crucial to have a good team of people. I don't mean the physical cricket team, but just to his own advisors. And um, yeah, he's doing a terrific job. And I think tactically he hasn't been, well, no, I think in Pakistan he was, he was sort of challenged tactically about yep. trying to find a way to, to eke out a win. And he did that really well. He chops and changes. And now look, I've, I've been really impressed with his, um, with his leadership and his captaincy. And, um, yeah, uh, I guess everyone thinks that the Ashes next year in England might be a big challenge or be a big challenge for him. It will be. But this summer here, you know, got to get through that. West Indies and South Africa could prove challenging. Mm -hmm. I still expect Australia to come out on top, but um, I think they're well led by Pat. 
What are your predictions for the World Cup, Gilly? Uh, I'm going to say Australia v... I'm going to go, let's say, England in the final. Wow, that'd be huge, wouldn't it? Can you reckon to come out on top? Aussies. Aussies, absolutely. Gilly, thanks for joining us on the show today. It's been an absolute honour and a pleasure and a privilege to have you on. Uh, no, and, and same, I I, um, I say ditto to all that, mate. I can't wait to, to watch your career to continue to soar, mate. It's been a, a real honour to be on this uh, at such an early stage of your, um, of your burgeoning career. Good on you, Max. Thanks, Gilly. Thanks for joining us on the Sporting Max podcast. We'll see you next week. Head to sportingmax.com.au to check out all the latest episodes or give us a follow at sportingmax.podcast on Instagram. We'll see you soon. This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEM.